You're listening to San Antonio Public Library's podcast, Tuned In. This podcast is made possible through the generosity of the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. Our sound engineer is Dan Garcia. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at guides.mysapl.org slash SAPL tuned in. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again for the Tune In Podcast team. Today, we're here with Chrysalis Ministries. We have Nino Tarantino. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for asking. And we also have Cynthia from Reference. Hello. And Raquel from Reference. Hello. So, Mr. Tarantino, tell us a little bit about your organization. Sure. Chrysalis is an organization that began about 1941 when a group of pastors decided that they were going to do some religious services, Bible studies and such in the Bear County Jail. Um, and that has evolved over time to being incorporated in 1972 as a 401c3, as a nonprofit organization. And then in the early 2000s, um, instead of just ministering within the jails and prisons, we began teaching life skills courses that would help people through things like anger management, healthy relationships, uh, 12-step recovery classes, those kinds of things. So we started doing that in the jail because we knew that those were sources of why they offended in the first place for the most part. Um, Beyond that, we went to somewhere around 2010 or so, um, we began to start working with clients who were getting out of Bear County Jail, sort of the reentry piece of it. And we knew that if we got somebody into an anger management class while they were incarcerated, for example, they they may not finish that class while they're incarcerated. They may get released before it ends. So we needed a place for them to go finish that anger management, and get into uh, back into the community. Um, we also, at that point, a couple years later, began our job program. And the job program started out with just going to a couple of the fast food restaurants and saying, hey, we've got some people who have backgrounds. Uh, they're in need of employment. Are you willing to, to work with them? And a few of them said yes, and so we started getting them into those very sort of low-paying food service kinds of positions. And in, a, in 2016, we were getting about 20 to 23 percent of our clients employed. Uh, by the end, or by the last year before COVID, we were up to 60 percent. Wow, that's great! But it wasn't just 60 percent in fast food. It was in construction. It was in manufacturing. It was in medical. Uh, we've done a lot since then in the last four years because we know that um, you're four to five times less likely to re uh, recidivate, to reoffend, if you're employed. Very wow. true. Very true. So based on the information you just gave us, was it a, a pretty good partnership that you started with Bear County? Or was it was trials and tribulations? How does that work out? Well, so I can't go back to 1941 because I wasn't born yet. <laughs> <laughs> so unlike uh, what people think, I did not start Chrysalis. Um, but what my understanding is is that they were very welcomed in because it was being requested by the inmates. It, it eventually became law that the jails and prisons had to allow um, religious services to be held within the prisons. So I think they were finding that the counseling that the uh, pastors were doing and going in were really kind of calming the population down a bit Mm -hmm. because they had a lot of anxiety. They were concerned about a lot of different things. And by getting that counseling and getting that peace of mind, they were starting to actually calm down as a population, and that made it easier on the Bear County Sheriff's Department. Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you talked about uh, being very religious-based. Is it a requirement for them to be in the program to be of a certain religion, or is anybody welcome? No, we refer to ourselves as an ecumenical agency, which means that we are faith-based. 
Um, but you do not have to have any particular faith at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we serve every type of faith. I have both Catholic and Protestant chaplains on staff. But if somebody needs um, um, a leader from another religion, mm-hmm. uh, if you're Muslim, if you're um, uh, whatever your faith might be, we're, we have contacts to bring those folks into the jail to work with you. Okay. So we don't judge you on your religious status at all. That's awesome. Thank you. So I have a question for you. Um, would you like to share your favorite story about your work? <laughs> this is Cindy speaking, by the way. Yeah, so I think the favorite thing that happened to me, when, especially when I'm thinking about clients, because that's, you know, we're client-centered. We have, at any given time, somewhere between 120 and 150 volunteers that work with us. Wow. And so... And that's not unusual for nonprofits, right? We all we all rely heavily on on volunteers to to get our work done. So every year we would have a um, volunteer dinner. It was about volunteer appreciation dinner. And so one particular year we had about ninety volunteers at the dinner, and we always did a client testimonial during those dinners, at least one client testimonial, so that they could see sort of the impact they were having on the folks we were serving. So in this particular dinner, there was a gentleman who had been in prison for almost a decade. And he came to us, and he wasn't very literate, so we had to get him some training. And we use other agencies to do some of these things because we don't do all of this work. Mm -hmm. So we had another agency work with with him to get him to a literacy level so that he could actually read and fill out a job application. Um, And he had a very interest in working with his hands. A very strong interest. So we got him into an HVAC training program, and he passed through the, the program. We found an employer who was willing to hire him with his background, and he worked with that employer for about two to three years and decided to start his own HVAC company. Oh, that's wow. great. That's, that's awesome. great. And so during the volunteer dinner, the story is being told, but it's not being told by him. It's being told by his wife because he can't speak in public. Oh, wow. Aww. He stood there through the whole thing while his wife told the story. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things that comes out of that, of course, is number one, one of, the, one of the primary goals we have, of course, is getting people employed because we know what that's going to do to their future. But above that, it's getting the families back together. Yes. So prime example of the family coming back together working on this together, mm-hmm. him getting employed, and now to this date when he has openings, he calls Chrysalis to find out if we have people that want to go through the HVAC training. That's, wow, amazing. that's amazing. That's wonderful. That's truly, it's truly a miracle because it's just it's such a hard task once you have that background to achieve gainful employment. You can get employed, but mm-hmm. gainful employment to help your family, right. to, per, to help yourself. So that's, that's a wonderful story, and that's a great program you all have there. So let me, let me speak to that real quick because, it, you know, one of the things that we knew we had to do was we had to get out into the community and talk directly to employers and convince them that hiring second-chance employees was not a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. right? And I'll, we talk about that a little bit later because there's a whole section on that that I'd really like, like to kind of go through. But once the employers agree that they'll take a chance with these second-chance employees, they keep coming back to us. Because these are some of the best employees they have because every one of them has something to prove. Right. Right. And so they want to be the best employee. They want to be there on time. They want to be doing the things that need to be done. 
and they want to step outside the lines when the employer needs them to. Hey, this is your job, but I need you to do this today. Mm-hmm. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Okay. Right. That's an amazing story, um, which brings me to one of my questions. I wanted to know um, what other programs you have. I know you mentioned HVAC was one of them. I find I think it's awesome that that particular individual is now giving employment to other people that you know through the same steps that he took with you all. I think that's awesome. But to that, it's, I know you said there's some clerical and um, a lot of the lower pay lower paid jobs. Um, what else? What other programs do they have? So in 2020, um, when COVID had hit and people were just getting back into later in the year, getting back into the office and all that, the city was granted some federal funds that they used for a program called Train for Jobs SA. The city went to six agencies in San Antonio and said, will you administer this program for us? Chrysalis was one of those six agencies. The reason Chrysalis was chosen was because we're exclusively working with people who are second-chance employees, people with backgrounds, and we're the only ones that do it. Now, every agency in San Antonio gets people with backgrounds, but we're the only one that only works with those people. So we know Mm -hmm. when they come to us, we know more about what they're about to go through than they do. Right. So as an agency that was chosen for Train for Jobs S.A., we had access to an amazing amount of training for our clients. Now, our challenge always is that we, we may have a client that wants to be an HVAC person, right? Mm-hmm. They want to be a mechanic. But if nobody's going to hire somebody with a background in that, in that occupation, mm-hmm. we sway them away from that and say, look, you're not going to get a job. You might, might get training, but you're not going to get a job. Right. So what we do is we work with the employers not only to find out who's willing to employ them, but also who has the openings. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't have the openings, it doesn't matter if they're going to employ them or not. So we have access uh, through Train for Jobs SA, but now we are also part of the SA Ready to Work program. Okay. 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 So um, what we decided to do after Train for Jobs, the the city, when they got the Train for Jobs money, they really had to throw a program together in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. And I think they did an amazing job given the amount of time they had. Right. Now, of course, it came fraught with problems, right? And we had all sorts of missteps along the way, not just us, all the agencies, trying to figure out how to get all this done together, how to work with the city on this. So they were much more thoughtful in the train in the SA Ready to Work RFP they put out, the request for proposal. Mm-hmm. And in that proposal, when that proposal came out, a bunch of us got together and said, let's, let's put in a joint bid. Let's not just do this individually. And so Workforce Solutions Alamo was the largest of the ones we were talking to. So we asked if they would become the primary agency uh, because they had the administrative functions, all that kind of good stuff. They could they could handle a lot of that. And the rest of us would be sub-agencies under them, but we would do the proposal together. So long story short, it's about a $180 million program over the next several years, of which mm-hmm. Workforce Solutions Alamo Consortium was awarded $102 million. Wow, wow, that's a so, lot. So by far the largest consortium. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with what comes with that is a tremendous catalog of training. Wow. So we can put our clients into lots of these different trainings. What we do, again, because our clients are a little bit different, is that right. we go in and we make sure that the training does not require, does or does not require a high school diploma mm-hmm. because 80% of our clients do not have a high school diploma. Okay. Uh, we do help them to get there, but not everybody's going to get there. And then we make sure that um, once they complete the training, that the 
people hiring them don't require the high school diploma. Right. So the trainer might say, okay, great, you can come in, complete the training, but then they can't get a job because right. nobody will hire somebody without a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. So we go those extra miles to make sure we clear the paths for them. And if it isn't a path that's going to be fruitful for them, if right. it's something that's going to lead to a dead end, we lead them down a different path. Okay. So do you also assist with GED programming as well, or is it that's – We partner with separate? a number of agencies. The one that we use the most is Restore Education. Mm-hmm. And they come in uh, – You know, our clients go to them – and the way we case manage is a little bit different than a lot of other agencies' case management. So if I have a client come in and I do my case plan with the client and I say, okay, one of the things we need to do is get you either to your GED or to a literacy level that makes sense for you mm-hmm. to get to, right? And we're going to set you up with Restore Education. So our case manager is now calling Restore Education. And they're saying, I'm sending Nino over for his GED training. Mm-hmm. Um, when he gets there, could you please let me know that he got there? Can you please let me know that he's showing up for his classes? Right. And then we follow up both with the client and with the agency oh, okay. because this is a population that disappears quite quickly. Right. Right. It's all of a sudden their cell phone's gone, and now they had the address they gave us is no longer valid, mm-hmm. and finding them can be difficult. So a lot of times we find them because they, they are continuing to go through the service. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, don't forget, you got to give us your new phone number. you got to give us your new right. – so it's all that kind of work. But Restore Education does a phenomenal job. They'll do that pre-testing to figure out where you really are mm-hmm. and then set a realistic goal to where you can get. Wow. One of the examples that I use for, for, for this is you have judges that will um, put people on, on probation, and they'll say, okay, you're on probation. In the next six months, you need to get your high school equivalency. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go through the testing with them and find out they're not even at a third-grade literacy level. Oh, wow. So we go to the judge and say, look, just put them back in jail now if that's going to be the requirement because right. they can't possibly do it. Mm-hmm. The good news is the judges get that. It's kind of they have it in their head, you know, okay, get a, get a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. And not realizing not everybody can. Right. And so we try to meet them where they are. We figure out what is the best next step for you. And we have people that we do get to that fifth grade high school literacy level, which is kind of where you need to be if you're going to fill out a job application mm-hmm. and read and all that kind of good stuff. But then once they get into the workforce, they'll come back and they'll try to get to that high school equivalency too. They want to get better. Right. They want to keep moving. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. So the typical client for Chrysalis Ministries comes to us um, pretty much wearing everything they own. They come to us, about 80% of them not having a high school degree or diploma. Um, and when I say that, that doesn't mean they dropped out in high school. A lot of our clients dropped out in third grade, fourth grade. Mm-hmm. You think about um, the way they grew up. You think about dad was a drug dealer and mom was a hooker and there was nobody at home. Mm-hmm. And so the kid is all of a sudden out on the street. The child is out on the street and they're running with the gangs. They're running with the, with the other kids that are, whose parents are going through the same thing. And so they don't really get educated for the most part. What ends up happening when they come to us is that because they have such a low educational level, we have to assess that. We have to figure out where can we really get them to. Most of these folks um, are referred to as second chance employees, right? That's kind of a typical term everybody uses. Mm -hmm. I think most of our clients never had a first choice, had a first chance. And so even though I have to use the term second chance because that's what's accepted, our clients are probably 80% first chance. This is going to be the first opportunity in their life that they've had to do something that's going to help them to be truly productive 
and live a good life, be able to um, support their fam- themselves first, their, their family second, um, and really move down a path that's going to keep them away from the jails and prisons. Yeah, and maybe they should call it fighting chance as opposed to second chance because honestly, and that's they what are fighters. Doing. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, so I, um, I mean, clearly you have a lot of heart, and it's really nice to see. I was wondering, is there a particular program that seems to be more successful um, that you've seen that more and more people come out, you know, on the on the positive side? Yeah. So. As we know, the majority of our clients are going to need employment. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a very few that don't, but the ones that do, um, when they come to us, it's all about what I was talking about earlier is defining where are you really in terms of your abilities, in terms of your um, literacy levels, all those kinds of things. So what kind of job can you really handle? Mm-hmm. So as it started out, a lot of our clients became very successful in doing sort of the manual labor and construction, doing the food service kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, doing some of the clerical jobs, those kinds of things. What we're finding now is that these folks are a lot more talented than that. Mm-hmm. And as we're getting access to these trade apprenticeship programs, um, which, by the way, some some of these apprenticeships lead to jobs that are going to be six-figure jobs. Oh wow! Okay, we're not, talk, we're not talking about twenty or thirty thousand dollars mm-hmm. a year anymore. We're talking fifty to a hundred thousand oh, dollars a year. Wow, that's amazing. We're finding that a lot of uh, our clients are having a lot of success in CDL training. Oh. So as long as the employer will hire them based on their background, mm-hmm. and these CDL drivers are making between forty and seventy thousand dollars a year. Oh, that's fantastic. So we're getting these folks into jobs that aren't. Flipping burgers at Whataburger, which, again, we need people flipping jobs at Whataburger, so it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But we're getting them way beyond that. And, again, with the city's um, Train for Jobs SA and now the SA Ready to Work program, the ability to get them even more training. Right. And it's not just about training in this program. They can go get their associate's degrees. They can go get their bachelor's degrees. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of our clients don't end up going down that path because so few of them have a high school diploma to begin with. Right. But what we do is we work with them, and again, with Restore Education, with each one, Teach One is another agency we use. Um, SAISD has a GED program. So we use whichever ones are most convenient for them. We get them into those programs, and if we can get them that GED in six months to a year, now I can get them into even better training, and now I can get them even to better jobs. So it's really up to where their situation is. If they've got a good support network, Mm -hmm. if they've got a place where they can live, if they don't have to worry about paying the rent every month or the utility bill every month, um, if we can set them up with the right services to take care of a lot of those things, then they can spend the time to move that education bar forward. Mm -hmm. And that is an ideal situation. But, of course, not all the clients have the ideal situation. Mm -hmm. I know that it must be difficult for them because they – uh, a lot of clients have to find a stable place to live and a stable address. Well, and that's, again, another hardship for a lot of them. Um, you know, they've been in and out of the system so much that the family's given up on them. Mm-hmm. And so their core support system is gone. And when your core support system is gone and you're coming out with nothing other than what you own, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so we do work with housing um, the housing authority we work with haven for hope we work with a number of different agencies around town that will help us find places to put people and once we can get them stabilized and by the way the sa ready to work program provides funding for that as mm-hmm. well 
So because of their hardship, because of what they're going through, if I need to put somebody in an apartment or somewhere for the next three, six months, I have funding to be able to do that. And that's usually enough to get through most of the training programs. And I can have them work with the food bank to get fed. I can have them go to St. Vincent de Paul to get hot meals, right? So I can do a lot of different things with this client if they're committed to going through the program, committed to staying in the training. And then while they're in the training, as I said before, my team is working behind the scenes looking for the employers. Mm -hmm. Not only the employers that are hiring, but the employers that are going to hire somebody with that person's particular background. Mm -hmm. So that must, that's very important so they have the end point to work towards. Uh, you, as you've said before, it's not helpful to have a goal if, if you can't be employed in that field that you're looking at. Exactly. And, and, and again, the team really has to go through and do that hard work during that entire process. That's probably one of the most stressful things for my team. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard enough that they hear the stories, right? And mm -hmm. they have to deal with the clients every day. But then knowing that that client might have a dream of doing something that we know based on their background, they're never going to be able to do because nobody will hire them with that particular background, right, right for that particular job. And, and those jobs do exist, mm -hmm. right? And I use an example sometimes. You know, if, if I've got three theft, uh, theft convictions, I might as well not think about going to retail, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right? Not because right. it's not going to happen. Yeah. Nobody's going to hire me. Mm -hmm. And... That's just a reality. Right. And so somebody comes, I would really like to be in the retail. Well, that's not going to happen. Let's talk about plan B. <laughs> right. Right. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Manage expectations. Yeah, we have to, absolutely. So I have a question. What incentives do y'all offer besides the long term of education of employment? Do you offer like maybe vouchers for clothes, vouchers for housing, things of that nature? Great question. So when a client comes to us, uh, we go through what we call a thorough uh, we do do the intake, the intake, which everybody has to do to get all their basic information. But we do a thorough needs assessment. And so we determine what your immediate needs are and your long-term needs and goals are. And so the immediate needs are things like you're mentioning. I might need some clothes. I might need a place to live. I might need food, right? And so we set all that up to begin with. Okay. So we have a clothes closet, and we have enough clothes to give somebody that, you know, last for a, a week or two. Mm -hmm. But then we send them over to places like Dress, Dress for Success. Right, and we tell them they're coming over. This is who it is. This is what they need. Um, we set them up with places to live, like at Haven for Hope. We'll work with them. Uh, there are apartment complexes that will bring people in who have backgrounds. We know who they are. They don't necessarily like to advertise, right. so we don't share names. Uh, but what we do is we do work with them uh, to get them into a place where we can then get some of that rent subsidized, either through the San Antonio Housing Authority through the SA Ready to Work program or find funding from different sources to help to help pull that all off. But without that stabilization, we know they're not going to complete training. Right. We know they're not going to get to that job. Right. That's very true. That's right. So I had another question. You Did you start in a different field uh, before you worked here? And if so, what started you on this journey towards Chrysalis? Yeah, so I've been a for-profit guy my entire life. Um, I'll give you the short version of the story. So in 2000, I've, I've always been a corporate executive. I've been CEO of three different companies, um, always been in senior management, um, had a great career. And in 2005, I went through a divorce. And in 2006, I entered into a custody battle mm. after that divorce. 
Now, I was working for a local company, and they had me traveling about 200, 250,000 miles a year around the country fixing situations. And so I knew that wasn't going to cut it in terms of getting custody. So I left the job, and I started a publishing company from home where I started writing uh, teacher and student books to study for the state assessment exams. And I started selling them to individuals, started selling them to schools, started selling them to school districts. And so I could do that from home while I was taking care of my kids. Mm-hmm. And I had never done that before. I had no idea what I was doing until I started to get into it. Um, it took a little bit of time, but we got it going. Um, and so I did that for 10, 11 years. And then 2015 rolls around, and I realized I've got two sons in college, and I've got another one that's a junior in high school. They don't need dad at home all day, <laughs> right? So I started looking around, um, and... I really had no more appetite to go back to the corporate environment. It was at that point I decided I just really, even though I looked at a few of the jobs, I just really didn't want to do it. So a recruiter asked me a question. He said, have you ever thought about nonprofits? And I said, not really. I mean, not really has crossed my mind. Mm -hmm. So he sends me over to a terrific guy by the name of Mike Gilliam who ran the San Antonio White Lighthouse for the Blind. Mm-hmm. And Mike Gilliam was a former AT&T executive who made the transition to nonprofit and just told me just great stories. Mm-hmm. And then he sends me over to Navarro Williams, who was the CEO over at Sam Ministries, and he was an ex-cable executive, and so he basically told me exactly the same stories. Mm-hmm. So if you don't believe in God, you won't believe this next part. So two weeks later, I find out that the person that is the CEO at Chrysalis Ministries is retiring. And I'm talking to my pastor at church, and I mentioned I'm, you know, I'm going to go see if, you know, if it's something I qualify for. He pulls his phone out, scrolls through it, says, okay, Zeke Kennedy, one of our parishioners here, one of our, one of our congregation members, is a board member at Chrysalis. And so I'm going to send him a text and let him know what you're thinking. Ten minutes later, I've got breakfast appointment with Zeke the next day. Wow. And by the end of the breakfast, Zeke says, okay, you got to take this job. <laughs> I said, well, you know, Zeke, I probably have to interview for it before anything happens. So, you know, and he says, don't worry about that. You're getting the interview. Mm-hmm. He said, but, you know, after the interview, you got to take this job. Wow. And so that's it was how, meant to be? Yeah, that's how I got into Chrysalis. Oh, that's wow. fascinating. It's a wonderful wow. story. Mm-hmm. Placing you where you need to be. Right. There's no question why, who put me there. Right. Right. That's interesting. Um, so you had your little segues, and we're, I guess we are kind of now wanting to know what can the library do to help um, these people with, you know, giving them these opportunities and how to, I mean, obviously we're going to want all the good stuff about, you know, where you're located, what your hours are, you know, how uh, do they need to bring anything, like, other than themselves, stuff like that. We want to know everything. So... What the library already does for us, just so you know, uh, we do children's events throughout the year. Mm. So we just finished in August, we did our Stuff the Backpack, which is where we provide a full ba- a backpack full of all the school supplies kids are going to need for the school year um, based on the school list that the schools put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are only for children of our clients, and they're only for children of our clients who are working their case plan. So it's an incentive we use to help keep them moving their case plans forward. As part of that program, the library donates books to us every year. Oh, 
Oh, I didn't even awesome. know that. Y'all do. And so what we do is after they pick up their backpacks, we have a big bookcase sitting out in our lobby where the kids can come and choose whatever books they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that bookcase is out there all year, but this is the one time of the year where they're all where the kids are actually mm-hmm. coming through. Usually it's just the parents, right? So this is, they're coming through. They're able to look at, you know, you sit in the hallway and, you know, page through stuff. Yeah, I want this book, Mom. I want this book, mm-hmm. Dad. And they're free to take them. Oh, that's awesome. Second thing that you also already do for us is you allow that uh, you allow clients to come in and use your computer bank. Right. Oh, yes, we do. Speak right, and so and so that's extremely important because they don't have the money to have their own computers. Right, uh, they do need to do their job searches. Uh, we teach them how to do all that stuff, and we have a small bank of computers that they can use, mm-hmm. but it's nowhere near enough. So the library becomes the second choice. And so oh. you guys are serving a lot of our clients, whether you know it or not, because oh. they'll come into the library to do all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And our case managers are always talking to them. You know, so, so have you have you gone and looked? Yeah, I was over at Central the, the other day and looking. You know, I was there for an hour and I found a few things, and I want to bring those jobs, um, those job leads into you to make sure that you think that they're good for me and all right. that kind of good stuff. So those are two things that already happen. Oh wow! One of the things that we were talking about before we started the program mm-hmm. was the idea of these people coming out and not having their IDs, not having their driver's license, not having their birth certificates. Mm-hmm. When people come to you and they tell you things like that, you know, I just got out of jail, please send them to us. Okay. Oh, we will. <laughs> because because that's what we do. Um, but set an expectation with them that if you go to Chrysalis, they're not just going to give you an, get you an ID. Right. They're going to walk you through a needs assessment, mm-hmm. and they're going to do a case plan with you to help you get to where you need to be. Perfect. And if you don't want to do that, then we're going to have to probably find a different place for you to go get your driver's license or ID. Mm -hmm. Because Chrysalis isn't there just to hand out driver's license and ideas. That's part of the program. Okay. And what it leads to is sustainability beyond incarceration. Right. And getting you a driver's license or a birth certificate does not sustain you post-incarceration. So that being said, do you have resources where that you may know of places that are able to help them with just that? Or It always depends on the level of funding at the time. Okay. So I know the GI Forum, for example, does that work. Okay. I know that Sam Ministries can do some of that. Okay. Um, there, are, there are probably a dozen around San Antonio that will just give you, get you your driver's license ID. Family Service Association is another one. Okay. Right. That's a common question, so it's good to yeah. have an answer like that. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Because yeah. so. Cynthia and Raquel are on the front line. They work at the first floor at the Connect, so they're hands-on with all our patrons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. That's the reason why I'm asking the questions about the IDs, because that is one of the biggest questions that we have. I know the library does offer a an enhanced card, and not a lot of places accept it, so exactly. it's nice to know where to send them to get something that's actually more more acceptable at, lo- at a lot more places. One of the other things that is, you know, really pretty common is that a lot of people when they when they are released from incarceration, they don't want to talk about it. Right. And they don't want to tell people that they're formally incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's just a trust thing and a dialogue thing. If you learn that somebody's formally incarcerated, you'll know where to send them. Right. They won't always come right out and tell you, yeah, I just got out of jail. Right. You know, I came here, I lost my ID, where can I go get another one mm-hmm. would be the answer. Right. Uh, or would be what they'll ask you. So um, once they, once you gain trust with these folks, they'll tell you everything. Right. 
and that's one of the primary objectives of our case managers to make sure that they feel them, make them feel comfortable. We have two rules. Number one, no matter who walks in, don't judge them. They did something, they paid their time, now they're coming to get some help, and we're not judging you for what you did. Number two, don't tell them you can do something if you can't do it or if you don't know you can do it. Because this is a population that if you, if you lie to, if you, t- if you tell them you can do something and can't follow through, we'll lose them. And if we lose them, they don't have anywhere else to go. So those are the kind of the two um, rules that we have with our case management, our frontline team, when they're working with clients. And because of that, the clients then eventually trust who they're talking to because they're not only not being judged, but now they're getting the assistance. They might say, well, why do you need to know this? Well, because if we're going to get you employed and your answer to this question is yes, I know that I have to exclude certain industries or certain employers. And so if you don't tell me these things up front, I'm going to send you down a path that you may not see fulfilled. Right. It might be very frustrating for that client. Yeah. So. Yeah. You want, you want to set them up for success yeah. as yes. opposed to them. 100%. Right. So I was thinking, how long does it usually take to break the ice? I know you have to get that rapport with your with your with your clients, and it's most of them don't trust the system because they've been in the system so long. So, what are the typical things you have to do, or the typical amount of time it takes to to get that trust between your case managers and then the client? Of course, it's always dependent on the person, right? right? So, so their circumstance, their situation. But I would say a typical is that when they come in for the first meeting, and we do the intake and we do the assessment, the first thing they learn is that the assessment isn't. I'm going to read a bunch of questions and write a bunch of answers. I'm going to have a dialogue with you, mm-hmm. just like we're sitting here having a dialogue right now. And then as they answer questions, the dialogue changes to go down different paths. Right. And so they start to see that this is becoming less of a sort of a I have to fill in the blanks kind of a thing than it is I'm kind of really wanting to get to know about you. Right. Right. And so that starts to break the ice. By the time they get in for the second meeting, they may say, well, you know, I forgot to tell you about this. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, yeah, I told you this, but it didn't really happen that way. This is kind of the way it happened. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, and then, so again, no judge. Right. Okay, so you forgot. Okay, we got that now. All right, so now we got the facts of that straight. That's great. Anything else that we need to be talking about? Mm-hmm. And so that's, so by the third time they come to see us, golden. Right. Oh, awesome. So they feel they can be open and honest with you. As long as my case managers are doing their job the way they should, and and they do. I have some great case managers. Mm -hmm. As long as they're doing the job the way they need to be doing, that trust gets built. Are any of the case managers former clients, or how does that work? I've got several former clients. Mm -hmm. So my lead counselor is is one of my former clients. He, um, He got out. And he's been working. He was working for us for about ten years, and decided to go get his um, licensed chemical dependency counseling degree. Oh. So while he was working with us, he was a he was a case manager when he started. When I got to Chrysalis in 2016, I promoted him to program director, mm-hmm. and then he was going through getting his LCDC license. So he got that. That wasn't good enough. So he decided he wanted to become an LPC, mm-hmm. licensed practic- practicing counselor. And he just last week completed. So he is now a full-fledged LPC. Oh, that's, oh, that's awesome. wonderful. And he's formerly incarcerated. I, I helped my friends study for that test. It's hard. It's, <laughs> it's not easy. We've got probably right now on staff, I've got 14 employees, and I'd say six of them are formerly incarcerated. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Wow. That's awesome. That 
they're able to we, just give we, back to what gave them. We practice chance. what we preach. Yeah. My my lead my leading um, uh, person who teaches our twelve step program, he spent twenty. Sorry, he spent fourteen years in prison. Mm. Oh, He's wow. been with Chrysalis twenty six years now. That's probably why the, the easing them in, and they already know because they've been through it themselves, that that's why they are, feel more relaxed because they have their own story Some of them share. have already been there. That's awesome. And then the credibility with the clients, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, I've been there. I could help you because look at what I've done. I've right. achieved, so I can help exactly. you achieve also. Yeah. That's a great feeling. It gives them a, a, that end goal, like, ah, oh, that's what I want. That's yep. awesome. So, Raquel, you mentioned men. I was curious, what's the the uh, ratio of men to women in the program? It's about 60% men, 40% women. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that was, was higher than, than I thought. expected. Yeah. I thought it would be yeah. more men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, the number of women being incarcerated has gone up substantially. Right. That is true. And unfortunately, what we see is that the violence from women coming out is usually higher than the violence from men. And you say, well, why would that be? Well, some of what these women have gone through in their lives mm-hmm. would horrify you. Right. Which also I was as I was going through the website, I saw that there is a lot of like counseling and um, anger management and just a bunch of mental health things that you assist with. Also, I was like, yes, because a lot of people just kind of just want to do the the physical work. And yeah, okay, you need the literacy and but they forget about what's going on in their head. They've they're they literally just went through a trauma going into being incarcerated at any level and the fact that y'all helped them through that is really amazing so i'll let you in on a little known secret the largest mental health facility in bear county is the bear county jail really i that doesn't surprise me unfortunately there is such a large amount of mental health mental illness Mm -hmm. amongst the inmates um not just in bear county in any any place Right, so you think about all the chemical and alcohol addiction. You think about uh, just some of the psychoses, things that people go through, sometimes driven by the addictions, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we deal with people that are coming out, and 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 two out of three are going to have some sort of mental health disorder, mm-hmm. guaranteed. And so if we don't offer those kinds of services, or if we don't have partners that offer those kind of services, right. then we can't holistically help that client. Mm-hmm. So we do use other services, too. So we partnered with Methodist Hospital on a couple of programs and a couple of grants uh, that they've done so that we can work with inmates prior to them being released. Mm. So a lot of people that have thing, uh, programs where they need to have access to inmates, they'll come partner with Chrysalis because I've already got a team in there. Ah, right. And so we can help them to identify the clients that are then going to be followed for the next 12 or 24 months once they're released. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go through all of their addiction counseling. They're going to go through getting all of their meds. They're going to go through getting all of that stuff taken care, mm-hmm. care of for them while they're going through this reentry process. Okay. That's great. Um, which also, I know things can be very expensive. I know that nonprofits cannot afford to take care of all the financial burdens. Is there any fee to the clients for any of the programs? We charge for every one of our class, and we collect for hardly any of our classes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so every class has a fee. Okay. And 97% of our clients pay zero. Okay. Um, but you also mentioned the expense of something. So I was shocked earlier this year. Any baby can, which is an agency that I never thought to partner with, mm-hmm. 
came to me and said, are you aware that we have a prescription drug program that can get your clients prescription drugs drugs for practically zero? Oh, wow. That's I had like, no idea. And I'm like, no, I wasn't aware of that. Mm-hmm. And so now we're partnering with, of all people, any baby can that send clients to them so they can get on back on their prescription drugs. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. I would have never guessed that. That's amazing. We're finding out so many new things that, I mean, wow. Everything's interconnected. It's mm-hmm. wonderful how people can work together. It really is. I have a couple of more questions before we start to wrap it up. I think Cynthia had one regarding like, do you want me to ask it? Or sure. You ask it? Yeah, if you, so what have you learned in this journey that you would like everyone out there to like have a, a, a perspective on or, or just know about that what you learned the odds and ends that you would like everybody to have some kind of knowledge of, of what you can do to help out? So one of the things I tell people is that everybody I know and everybody that you know knows somebody who has been incarcerated or is currently incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be distant family members. They may be relatives. They may be uh, neighbors. They may be somebody that you didn't even know was formerly incarcerated that happens to be sitting in the pew next to you at church. True. They all end up there for a reason. There are very few habitual criminals. Most of the clients that we work with, most of the people we work with are going through those issues, addictions, things like that, that are causing them to go down this path. Don't turn away from them. Recognize that they're struggling. Help them to get the help they need. You're not the professional, but you can pick up a phone and call all numbers of hotlines Mm -hmm. to say, I have a friend, I have a relative, I have a neighbor who is going through some things, and I think there needs to be some help here. And it's those that get ignored that end up in the system. Now, even some of those that don't get ignored are going to end up in the system because they can't beat their addiction or they can't get over the issues that they're having, whether it's depression or whether it's you know just some other ailment that's really causing them to act uh, and behave badly. Mm-hmm. And so what I've learned is that it's all around us. You know, every family's got somebody who's going through something. And so it's more prevalent than you think, and it's, you know, by the grace of God, those that don't end up behind bars. And I've made the comment myself. I mean, I've done some things when I was younger. I could have been one of my clients. Right. Okay. Right? Yeah. And you move on from those things. You you mature. You, you, you get better. Um, and I have relatives that have been in jail, several. And so I know that this is what happens. And they're not all bad people. These are not all people who said made their made their mind up to say, I'm going to go out and rob a store today. Right. Now, they might have said, I woke up and I need to get my fix today. And the way that I'm going to get my fix today is I'm going to go rob a store. Right. Okay, it's the whole cause and effect thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if we can figure out how to get them not to worry about that fix in the morning, they're probably not going to be thinking about going and knocking off the local convenience store. Very true. Right. So it's really more about understanding the population and the people that are that are impacted by it. And I mentioned earlier in the conversation, you got kids that grow up in households where both parents are formerly incarcerated, and they're still doing the things they were doing. Mm-hmm. And they're not really very good role models. They're not people that are going to teach you how to be a better person because they don't know how to be a better person. Right. So I've learned more than I really care to know about this population, <laughs> but all so incredibly important to know. Mm-hmm. Right. About this population. Right. 
it sounds like you've really grown and, and everybody's learned something from it, so, from this experience. Well, you know, when I got to Chrysalis, we, you know, it was, it was an agency that did things a certain way. And I'm not going to say they were bad or good or anything. They did what they needed to do, and I think Chrysalis did a very good job. I came in with a very different mindset in that we really needed to start focusing on what's going to keep people really out of jail. Right. And it was great they had started the program. We were getting about 20% of the people employed, but we weren't necessarily getting them employed in careers. And if people get employed into careers and they have upward mobility, they have potential to move on, they're even less likely to recidivate, to reoffend. And so we've, in the last several years, really placed a lot of our focus on workforce development and getting people good training, good career-oriented jobs in high-demand industries. So this SA Ready to Work program, for example, they did a huge study uh, and determined within Bear County what are the highest in-demand jobs where employees are having problems getting employees mm-hmm. but are career-oriented and are good-paying. So there's stipulations to this program that, you know, these jobs that you're getting for people, they can't be less than $15 an hour. They have to go through some level of training that's going to get them to a degree or a certification, Mm -hmm. right, that can be used and transferable to other companies. And so those are two big stipulations that the city workforce environment really didn't have before. It was more like we're just going to get you into a job. Now, we have tiers of clients. We have tiers of clients to start with those that want to go back to, or get a college degree. Mm-hmm. We have those that are never going to go get a college degree but are, cur- but are certainly capable of getting certified in different professions. Right. And we have those that are never going to get to that level. And we have to address all three of them, right? right? Because we're going to help everybody regardless of what your circumstance is. We have to meet you where you are. Right. And if where you are means that I have to get you that fast food job, I'm going to get you the fast food job. You need mm-hmm. the paycheck. You need to be able to sustain yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's extremely important to us. And one of the other things that we were approached by um, uh, with in the last couple of months was the Manufacturing Institute of America. They've been running a second chance hiring program here in San Antonio mm-hmm. through Workforce Solutions Alamo. And they came to us and said, would Chrysalis be willing to take this program over? And I'm thinking to myself, Workforce Solutions Alamo is my partner. I'm not taking anything right. away from them. <laughs> so I picked up the phone and I called Adrian Lopez at Workforce Solutions. I said, Adrian, I just got approached on this. And he goes, oh, please take it away from us. <laughs> he goes, we know we're not doing a really great job at it, and that's why they're coming and talking to you. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, we'll give it a shot. So we've got right now eight uh, manufacturers in San Antonio who have agreed to hire second-chance employees. Oh, only one of them requires a high school diploma. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. All the jobs start at 15 to $17 an hour with full benefits. Oh, wow. So these are really good jobs for people who would never have dreamed of being able to get into this kind of an employment. Mm-hmm. And if they continue uh, to do well, they have upward mobility within these companies. Right. And so one of the things that I was asked to do a few, uh, probably two months ago by the city was to sit on a panel to talk to employers about second chance Mm-hmm. employment and 65 or 65 or 70 employers attended that oh, wow. which meant they had some thoughts about you know maybe i'm going to open the doors to second chance hiring now everybody's going through hiring problems right didn't it finding employees is not easy today mm-hmm. and so they're thinking about this as another pool of employees that they hadn't considered before right. but when we go talk to employers and say 
why aren't you hiring second chance? They'll say, well, because we never have. Mm-hmm. I said, well, that's not a good answer. Well, how about another one? <laughs> yes. Well, that's always been our policy. Well, that's not a good answer. Can we have another one? Mm-hmm. Right? All the way down to the point where they have no idea why they're not hiring second right. chance employees. And then they'll say, okay, well, we'll try a couple. And next thing you know, they're calling us back and saying, you got any more? <laughs> right. So it's really, it's really kind of breaking that ice and breaking down the paradigm that says, well, we just don't do that. Right. So I want to piggyback off that. Do you, do you assist other people if they haven't been incarcerated? Just someone who's down on their luck. Do it have to be incarceration has to be a a caveat of, of being helped by chrysalis. So now you're hitting on a topic that, um, I attack, I approached, attacked, sorry, bad word. I approached my board of directors in 2019 and I said, you know, I think we're doing a pretty doggone good job inside and outside the jails. Mm-hmm. What would you all think about us expanding our mission to start working at the people who are at risk of becoming incarcerated? Oh, right. Yes. Uh-huh. So we started, I started doing some work on that. Then, of course, COVID hit. Everything shut down. The jails shut down. All that stuff happened. So several months ago, um, I approached juvenile detention, and I said, look, we, we need to begin this thing, because they were the first ones I had talked to back in 2019. And I said, what I want to do is I want to get the people at Restore Education to take the youth that you have that are 16, 17, 18, get them to their GEDs right. so that when they get out of detention, when they're released, they're going to come right into my job program, and they're never going to go into Bear County Jail. Right. Because if we if we don't do this, I'm going to see them coming out of Bear County Jail in two or three years. It's a guarantee. Right. Ninety plus percent of the kids in juvie juvie are going to end up in Bear County Jail. Yeah. So then I said the other thing we need to do is we need to go to the alternative high schools, because they're the next ones going to be going into juvie, right? right. And then they're going to be in the Bear County Jail. We need to go to the agencies around town that are doing the um, uh, the youth uh, addiction counseling and things like that, the drug and alcohol abuse, mm-hmm. because they're the next ones that are going to end up going into alternative high school that leads to juvenile, that leads right. to. Right. So we are really focusing right now on what I want to call preventative. It's not the greatest term, uh, but it's preventing them from going down that path that's going to make them a traditional chrysalis client three years from now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the city, all this timing just kind of comes along. They send me an email saying, we've got this new funding from the federal government. It's the ARPA funding, the American Relief Plan funding. And they have earmarked $750,000 for opportunity youth that are justice involved going into a workforce program. And they said, you know, we went to this agency and that agency, and they, and they say, keep saying, go talk to Nino, because he's the only one in San Antonio doing this. Mm-hmm. Chrysalis is the only agency that's capable of doing this at this point. So I've got a meeting with eight agencies tomorrow where we're actually going to sit down and work through and do a joint proposal, just like we did for the mm-hmm. SA Ready to Work program, to figure out how we fit all these pieces together. And everybody plays their role. So we have people that are going to help with the GED training. We have people who are going to help with the alcohol and drug addiction training. We're going to have people that are going to do the case management and job readiness and job placement stuff. And we'll have um, hopefully big brothers, big sisters might join us with this as well because they've got the best mentoring program around. Mm-hmm. Right? I met with them and they said, you know, it's a difficult population to mentor because when they get to that age, they don't really want that anymore. Uh, but, you know, where we can find some success with that 
because we think that if we can get mentors for these for these young adults, um, older youth, young adults, that they're going to be more prone to stay in the program. They're going to be more prone to get through that training, get through that education, and get into that job. And these are going to be those same good jobs that we've been talking about in the SA Ready to Work program right. that are in demand, high paying, full benefits, great jobs. Right. And sometimes they just want somebody to care, and that's what you're doing. So that's oftentimes that's all yeah. they want. Right. Right. And that proactive approach is, is excellent because mm-hmm. if you have to get them before they get there, right. that reaction is always good. But proactive is grab them before they go down that wrong trail. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wonderful. I it's think good to hear. It is good to hear because it. If you can imagine all the heartache and sorrow and grief and trauma that you are avoiding by not going down that, by helping people steer away from that path. One of the other side benefits to that, if it's a benefit, is when you've got opportunity youth, and they're defined as 16 to 24-year-olds who are kind of disenfranchised. They're not going to school. They're not working. They're not doing anything, Mm -hmm. excuse me, productive. But where you find opportunity youth you also find opportunity adults, mm-hmm. people that have also slipped through the cracks. They may have been formerly incarcerated 20 years ago or something, and they're still struggling along whatever. What we tell our clients is that once you're a chrysalis client, you're a chrysalis client for life. Right. No matter what happens the rest of your life, you need help from us. We have a class that you want to take. We have a work program that you need to get into. You come see us. You are a client. We're going to help you. Perfect. That's great. That's awesome. Chrysalis Ministries, it sounds like a – Great program. We really do appreciate you coming to talk to us today. Before we close out, is there anything else you'd like to tell the viewers, the listeners, about your awesome programs you have? I think just what I had mentioned before is that if you ever see somebody that you know is struggling in any kind of way, um, you may not think about that person as a potential uh, incarcerated individual. Uh, but trust me, many of them end up there because nobody nobody made that phone call. Right. So. Help them out. Help them get the help they need. Um, and, again, you don't have to put yourself on the spot to do it. You can make a call to a hotline, and they can they can intervene. They can help with mm-hmm. what needs to happen. Um, but that's probably one of the most important things. Uh, and the second is, you know, when people have done their time and they reenter society, treat them the same you would as any other neighbor. Absolutely. You know, they're going to be sitting in the pew next to you at church. They're going to be going to the same grocery store you're going to. Don't look at them differently because they're not different. They made a mistake and got caught. Right. You might have made a mistake and didn't get caught. So how does that make you any different than than them? Mm-hmm. And that's so the way true. I look at myself all the time. So true. Yeah. And I just want to hit on the point of volunteering. You never know whose life you might change by volunteering one day or one act of kindness. So please continue to volunteer. Be kind. You never know who you might touch with that. Oh, I had one question. How do we get hold of Chrysalis Ministries? How do we do we call a number or do we go on the website? What's the best way to get hold of them of this organization? So the best way is to give us a phone call. The number is 210-299-4540. You can also go to our website. It's www.chrys M-I-N org. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening. And get connected on mysapple.org with Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Pinterest, Flickr, Instagram, and follow tuned in on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. <laughs>